This is Coda Radio, episode 159 for June 22nd, 2015. Everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our amazingly excellent host who is frequently established, in fact almost all the time established, on the East Coast. Why, yes, Mr. Michael Dominic. Whoa! <laughs> Hello there, Mr. Dominic. I like my new musical intro. <laughs> so, so in, in all seriousness, no, I'm very unhappy today, Chris. Why is that? I tried Budweiser for the first time in mm, 15 years. Now that number is probably not right. You, you understand something here, Mr. Dominic? That Budweiser. <laughs> that was. That, I'm just so happy with that intro music. I can't even wait to tell people where that came from. But, Mr. Dominic, you understand that Budweiser today is the same as it was 15 years ago. So, if you tried it 15 years ago and hated it. You will still hate it today. That is actually how it works. They don't, they don't change anything about that beer, ever. That's how it works. Well. Speaking of which, I, I think I'm going to crack open a cold one. <laughs> no, you're not. I know for a fact you're not. <laughs> it's a, it's a soda. You, it's a, it is a you, sugar-free, it is a sugar-free, vegan, kosher, gluten-free soda. Damn, Angela's running a tight ship over there. Mmm. Got to keep the podcaster lean and mean, you know. Got to be able to come out here and stay caffeinated. She's like, get back to work. Here's right. your vegan soda. Right, right. No, uh, so here's the scenario, right? I'm on a golf course, you know, chilling there with Pierpont Morgan. Of course. And, and they kick the, you out because Obama shows up because, you know what, it's time for Obama to play some golf. Hello, everybody. Well, they, they actually lined us up and shot us because Obama showed oh, up. Oh, jeez, dude. He, he saw me putting, and he was like, no, I'm sorry. That's a crime. <sighs> Inappropriate? Yeah, I know. No, the reality was, so, you know, you're there. They come by with, like, this little drink van. Um, and you wanted to get your drink on. Yeah. And I'm like, how much is a Heineken? They're like, $8. And I oh. said, ha. How much is a Budweiser? $3. Sounds about right. So I get a Budweiser. You know, I imagine... I'm familiar with what a skunk smells like. Yeah. I feel like now I've tasted that. And how is that the number one selling beer in America? So, Just- you know, branding. And I'll tell you something. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I was told that the reason why Budweiser has such a un- unique smell and taste is that during World War II, they switched over to rice to uh, ferment. The- I, 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 you know, I could be getting this all wrong. But essentially, they've integrated rice into the production of Budweiser. And that's what, where some of its signature taste comes from, but also its smell. Tastes like crap. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Proud to be. Are you proud to be an American right now, Mr. Dominic? Uh, I'm proud to be Samuel Adams. I don't believe you. Well, um, so you had some really great introduction music as uh, we came into the show today. Uh, if you guys didn't get to hear it, uh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, it was great. It was impressive, and it was loud. And that's because right now something else great, impressive, and very loud is going on. DockerCon 2015, as we record the Coda Radio program, they're doing an intro it's video right now. In dip, it's working in practice. It's ISO. Oh yeah, essentially. I mean, pretty much almost. Almost. What do you mean almost? You know, there's maybe a very small gap in minor versions, and for some plugins. 
nothing particularly important. So, uh, DockerCon is going on today, and I've been watching some of it before the show started, and it's kind of interesting. It's not super polished. I'm going to just mention that. They, they had a few demo fails on stage, but there were several things that got rounds of applause. Uh, the announcement that a lot that CoreOS, Microsoft Azure's team, and Docker will be working a lot closer together to make some common uh, sort of uh, common technologies they can all build around. That got a lot of applause. So uh, it's they're up on stage showing real world stuff that's on the cutting edge. Uh, and I, uh, oh geez, oh Ninja sixty four. No, sorry to interrupt. I did not. I, I did not. I just. I have to. I have to write this wrong. Ninja sixty four asked in the chat room, "Do you guys not get awesome craft beer out there?" <clears throat> Ninja sixty four, you need to get your crap together right now. You need to get your crap together and get your priorities straight. Washington State is one of the best locations for independent craft beer. It is the mecca of some of the best beer in the United States yeah. of America. It is some of the, some of the beer sorry. that is being created out here in Washington State. Hello, Yakima Valley Hops. Hello, you know you, know you homies That's out there it. got Yakima you, Valley Hops because we got that. No. We got Yakima Valley, so don't even no. don't even bring it. Don't even bring it because we got Yakima. Are you going to trust a bunch of stoners when it comes to taste? We've been drinking beer a lot longer than we've been smoking weed. In your case, I know that's a lie. What? <laughs> hold on now. Hold on. Let's see. Hold on. <laughs> no. Listen. We have some serious beer out here. Oh, no, no. Oregon is not better. No. Oh. I don't need to. We don't need to do uh, this. Can I, I was going to say, like, Goosehead Island Ale or Brooklyn Ale, but Goosehead just got bought by, by uh, Budweiser. So. See, what I'm it sad. is. Well, here's what it is. Is there is a local beer culture here. Like, there is beers you've never heard of. Because they only make a few hundred, you know. Few. Oh my God! Get your black horn rim glasses. I'm just here. saying. Oh. I'm just saying. We have beer. Like we know beer out here in a way you guys don't even know beer. Like you're naming name brands. Like I'm not even about name brands anymore. All right. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is, is oh this yeah. Where we're gonna go. Yeah, all right. right. No, oh, let's, yeah. let's yeah. do this hipster. Fox wait, News wait, wait, wait. alert, Mr. Dominic. I'm not. I'm, all right. I'm all right. All right. All right. So you're saying. You're telling me that you're buying beer that's so, you know, underground. Esoteric. And like, so raw, you know. It's just, it's just, it's not about the money. It's about the beer, man. Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand. Except for last night, I, last night I drank Heineken. But, uh. <laughs> yes, the, the, the independent, um. Actually, the underground brewery, right? Heineken? You know what? I can get down on a Budweiser too, and the reason is, is I You're appreciate. A disgusting. Person. I know. No, I don't like it a lot. But like, if I go to a ball game, I'm getting down on a Budweiser. What else am I going to do? I'm not an animal. Coors. Right? You're going to get Coors. I, yeah, I would prefer Coors over over Budweiser. Basically, Sorry, it goes Coors. 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 Yeah, a Coors. You don't even speak the same language. <laughs> so let me tell you something. Uh, we have really good beers out here. So we, there are there are taverns out here where what they do is they bring in the local like brewers and they showcase their beer for like a week or two. So you can get some. So whenever you get out here, I'll show you what I'm talking about, and then we'll, then I'll ask you again if you want to change your tune. I'm gonna bring it. You okay. know that's not something unique to Washington State, right? I'm sorry, they do what? that here too. Yeah, but not probably as good. Probably. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't even know what to say to you. Like, what, what? is okay? What? what kind of beers are we talking about? Are we talking about like Belgian beer or like what's Dude, the style? My boy, Micro eighty nine in the chat room, Chris. Washington is home to more than two hundred breweries. I, I'm telling you, man. There's facts got me backed up here. You can go to washingtonbeer.com/breweries. Look at the chat room. Look at the chat room. They're so good. They're so good. 
200 breweries. Okay. What about like if I want – because this is important, guys. You know, the fall is coming soon. Not soon enough for some of us, but soon. <laughs> Dude, summer's and like just started yesterday. <laughs> I live near the shore and the tourists are starting to come. Y'all can go home now. Uh, yeah. I can't go anywhere on the yeah. weekends without it being a two-hour adventure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I like my Sam Adams Oktoberfest and all those very mainstream but kind of, you know, that German, the red-amber kind of beer? You know what I'm talking about? You must know what I'm talking about. For yeah, well, I know. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm reviewing the top beer list right now to see how far down Washington is on the list. <laughs> is it the shithole? Uh, no, hold on. Actually, oh no, oh no, about, oh no. The- What's up? Number five, number five in the United States of America, Washington State. What's and up? where is the where is the Great Bridgeless State of New Jersey? Tell me. Uh, let's see. I got to go way up the list here. So, oh, hold on. Oh, up. Yeah, of course you're no, going up. Yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah. Let's see, Missouri, New Jersey. Wait, no, Missouri. Minnesota, Flo- boy, you're behind Florida and Delaware, dude. Uh, Texas, dude, you're behind Alabama. <laughs> oh my god, dude, you're, ah! you're behind Alaska. <laughs> Please tell me we beat Hawaii. That's all I want. New Mexico, Georgia, Kentucky, oh! Iowa. Idaho, they drink vodka. All they have is potatoes. There's number 42 on the list, just above Hawaii. <laughs> How could that be? Science! Dude. I'm Wait, where's like, Pennsylvania compared to New Jersey? Dude, I I don't know, man. I got so lost. <sighs> oh, you got so lost going that down low in the list. Yeah, it was just it's just wow. So Washington's rocket number five. Who beats Washington? Oh, stupid Oregon. I don't know, man. I don't know. See, I feel like Oregon's fine. Hawaii. Oh wait, no. Okay. Oregon's fine. I feel like if you go by official breweries, but if you go by the culture, the I, culture. Let's, wait, wait, wait. So it's not just about the glass of beer you're drinking. It's about like. The people who made it, dude. It is so oh. about the people who made it. Because <laughs> here's oh the thing. Oh my god! Here's the thing. Here's the thing. These people, they have chosen to do something that doesn't make them a lot of money. That you is a lot are. of work, and they love it, dude. These people love their jobs. They love working with each they, other. They have like it's like it's like family in these breweries, and they just they don't make a lot of money, but man, they love the work, and that is really inspiring to see. You know what you are? I said who first, but I mean what? You're a thing. You're the Ruby developer who slows down the production system, then looks at you and says, do you know the beauty that this code is on this text editor? Oh, Let's take a look. It's all one line of power. Yeah, I am that guy. I, I am that guy. Oh, I'm, sorry. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, do you like like go to little shows and buy vinyl records too? No. What about A-Track? Is no. A-Track still a thing? No. No, it's just... I don't know. It's something about it, Mr. Tom. How did we even kid on this topic? Holy crap. Wasn't I it? suffered through a can of Budweiser this morning and was oh, very yeah. upset about it. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I was I was talking about DockerCon. But, but according to your list there, I should have loved it. I mean, there were, what, 43, 42? Yeah. <laughs> you should be happy for what you get, according to that list. Chris <laughs> is the biggest hipster I know. How the F is that possible? I, am watching- I don't know, man. You're not making a good case today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Hey, what what uh what Linux distros? Because I know you're not, you know, Ubuntu is a little too mainstream, right? Arch. I hate you, dude. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Listen, first of all, first of all, I do not have glasses, so I'm wearing a gray T-shirt, and then my jacket Actually, that I have today is a red is a red is a red Linux Action Show jacket. There is nothing hipster about me except for no, my Zevia so- zero calorie gluten free kosher vegan. <laughs> no sugar soda. That's a little hipster. I'll give you that. 
a little hipster and a lot whipped, but that's besides the point. Yeah, all right. So uh, <laughs> the hipster, so, hipster hair is not hipster hair. Hipster hair is just wet hair. Uh, all right. So, all right, so oh, anyways, DockerCon's Docker. going on right now. It, it goes to the 23rd, and um, a couple of things jumped out at me. Is They are pushing the software distribution thing big, really big. Something else that jumped out at me. Uh, during the demo, one of the things they were showing over and over again was deploying assets, deploying Docker images and instances, and, and like spinning up a lot of compute at once on, on DigitalOcean. And I noticed that DigitalOcean is a gold sponsor of DockerCon, which is awesome. I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to talk about DigitalOcean since that kind of just fits naturally. Because here's what they were doing at DockerCon today. I was watching live. And did I, I, don't, know if I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this. When the guy that was doing the demo, Mike, check this out. When the guy that was doing the demo and he's like, now I'm going to take this and I'm going to deploy this on DigitalOcean, freaking DigitalOcean got a round of applause in the audience. The audience gave DigitalOcean a round of applause. That's, that's what's up. That's how serious. I mean, DigitalOcean is awesome. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider that is dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own server. And really, in this instance... That is a little bit different than a normal, like, go start up a, your own uh, virtual server instance and deploy software stack and all that. In this case, in the case of DockerCon, what they were doing is they were taking a ready-to-go Ubuntu instance. It would turn on and with Docker preloaded. This is something that DigitalOcean has ready to go for you right now. It's already available, right? And so they would use that to just deploy up this, this creation that the guy had locally on his MacBook. He sent it up to a DigitalOcean droplet, and then, then they spun up, like it was like eight or nine instances of the setup on DigitalOcean. Now, that's a really high-end use, but that scales all the way down to, like, for me, I just have DigitalOcean right now for, like, OwnCloud and BitTorrent Sync and Minecraft and all kinds of back-end production stuff. Like, we have our JBot that runs off DigitalOcean. We have our uh, video streams that run off of a DigitalOcean droplet for uh, call-to-calls. Um, on and on. Uh, chatroom embeds, website back-end stuff, lots of stuff on DigitalOcean. We use that as our, as our Linux infrastructure. And it can scale from anything from uh, your, your own WordPress blog all the way up to something as advanced that I'm talking about. And you can start in less than 55 seconds. Wow. And pricing plans start only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. You get a terabyte of transfer. You're never going to eat through that. And what's great is their pricing plans, the way they're structured, it's really easy to step up, and you just get more bandwidth as you go, too. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a brand new one in Germany. But their interface is really what's incredible about DigitalOcean. They figured out they got to have great hardware, got to have great connectivity, got to have great locations. We have to work with these open source projects. We have to work upstream with guys like CoreOS and Docker. We have to do all of this. But we have to wrap it with an interface that is so incredibly simple and straightforward to use that you're going to be able to jump in there and get things done immediately. You're never going to feel resistance. You're never going to dread having to log in there and go get something done. That's not going to be the barrier to your creativity. That's awesome. And you can replicate the functionality of their dashboard on a wider scale with their badass API. They just updated their API, and it rocks. And I keep hearing stories about how folks are integrating with their projects or with their backup methodologies because you can do snapshots and all this. I mean, it is, or automated deployments. It really is an incredible system, all powered by Linux and KVM. And if you use our promo code, you can try it out for $10. You get a $10 credit. Try out the $5 rig two months. Just try it out for two months for free. Coder Digital. Apply that to your account, Coder Digital. That $10 credit goes in there. You just run that $5 rig two months or go to a more expensive one. They've also got great tutorials, and they're hiring content editors. 
as well. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Coder Digital. Thank you guys, too, for using that promo code. Helps keep us on the air. Okay, so Jack in the chat room caught this earlier, Mr. Dominic. I wanted to run this past you and see if you think this is going to be a really big deal. Uh, and so there is something that was announced at WWDC a couple of weeks ago that happened after the keynote. Apple does something called the State of the Platform Union or something like that, right? Am I getting that right, Mike? Like State of the Platform Union, State of the Union? State of the Platform, I think. Yeah, yeah. And this is where they actually talk about stuff that developers care way more about. And now Apple's actually publicly publishing these online, and you can go watch it. We'll have a link in the show notes. But Apple announced something that seems like it has huge, huge, huge long-term ramifications for developers and for all potential Apple platforms eventually. I grabbed a clip of the spot from the state of the platform since it is so long, and I'm going to play this portion of it for you so then we can talk about it. But we're also working on a new technology that is a little more forward-looking. We're introducing Bitcode into the App Store submission process. Bitcode is an LLVM intermediate representation of your binary, which allows the store to re-optimize your apps for each kind of device before they get delivered to the user. You develop and debug the app to normal way in Xcode, but the store will be in a position to constantly reapply the latest compiler optimizations we've been working on so that your apps run great on all kinds of devices. And it also future-proofs your apps, because it will allow the store to let your apps take advantage of new processor capabilities we might be adding in the future, and all that without you having to resubmit your app to the store. So generating Bitcode is controlled with a simple build setting in Xcode, it will be mandatory for all watchOS apps right from the beginning. And for iOS, it will be optional for now. So we feel that the benefits are so strong that we're going to opt all your projects into it by default. So BitCode, uh, as you heard him say, it's basically made possible because of uh, LLVM. Uh, and I have a really great write-up that was uh, posted on Medium. Uh, and I'll just read this uh, <clears throat> verbatim. BitCode is an encoding of LLVM's compiler intermediary representation, uh, or shorter called IR. LLVM was elegantly designed to benefit from the painful lessons of the GCC compiler. To indulge in a bit of oversimplification here, LLVM front ends understand the various programming languages used to write apps. LLVM back ends understand how to split, how to spit out the executable version of apps that you download and run. And in between the front and back ends sits the LLVM IR now known as BitCode. LLVM turns an app source code into BitCode. <clears throat> and then it turns that BitCode into an executable app. The design makes it incredible, it's, uh, incredibly simple to add support for new languages, like frontends, and for new CPUs, backends. While BitCode itself can't run on anything, it can be transformed into any supported CPU architecture, including ones that didn't exist when the app was submitted. Now, how much change can be made? There's debate about that. What is clear is significant features could be added to the A10 or A11 processor that nobody had any idea was coming down the road today when you're making your app, that now developers won't have to make any changes to take advantage of it. And I'm thinking, I'm not thinking like ARM to Intel, although let's talk about that here in a second, <clears throat> or Intel to ARM, but I'm thinking... Apple comes up with a new way 
to really just, you know, squeeze another hour of power out of out of apps. And, you know, it's in a new way of integrating with uh, uh, power saving and, and the CPU. And it's something that they can retroactively apply to every app in their catalog that has this. And now all of a sudden, when you get the new uh, uh, iPhone 7 or 8 with this processor feature in it, or the new iPad, all of the apps you download, well, that have been having this, for, that have this feature for a couple of years, will support the new features of this new fancy processor. And this is something that is uniquely competitively advantage for Apple here, because Apple is the only company at the moment, with maybe the exception, well, no, no, no. Apple is the only company at the moment that literally has the ARM designers and CPU guys in-house when they bought uh, Silicon, whatever they were. They have, they're designing their own CPU. They're designing their own motherboard. They're designing their, now they're not necessarily building them, but they're, build, they're, designing the, they're designing the motherboard, the CPU, the GPU, the operating system, they're designing literally everything from the CPU all the way up to the glass. And so when they want to roll out something in their CPU that no other CPU necessarily has on the market, they will now be able to flip a switch and have all of the apps that have theoretically been using this bit code for the last couple of years, whenever they do this, will now support this feature. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to here is this is a uniquely long-term, long-thinking kind of advantage that Apple has with iOS platform that you got to figure they're going to bring over to the Mac eventually, too. And you also have to wonder, Mr. Dominic, does this mean potentially Intel-based Macs in the future? You mean Intel? You mean oh, I mean ARM-based Macs? Macs? Yeah, ARM-based Macs? Uh, I do. If it does, I don't think it matters for most people. I think the the ARM Mac thing is kind of not that interesting if you think about it, right? I agree. Because the challenge there would be, can we make an, a Mac that uses less battery life but performs the same way current Macs do, right? So it's almost like a cloning challenge. What's interesting here, and, and you know, we didn't cover this because, and I initially heard about this, I didn't think it was such a big deal. And I, I kind of see now that was not correct but i still don't think it's as huge well, as people are making it do you out remember to be. a couple of weeks before wwdc i said one of the problems that apple has is they're supporting like everything back to the a5 processor they have this really long legacy ipad line now that they're, they are like they just stopped selling like the ipad 2 or something the first ipad whatever right 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 and and so developers are writing for the lowest common denominator and not taking advantage of the fact that the ipad air 2 has a very 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 fast processor in it they're not taking advantage of those features so well, now well, you're you're not going to solve that problem though. well here's the thing right is they are the in that in that platform talk they talk about how they're combining a few technologies together they're going to they're going to allow you to submit like 64-bit only versions of your apps, but you can also submit 32 and 64, and then the app store will actively select the components that match the machine. So if it's a 64-bit app right. with uh, high texture support and high GPU support, it just pulls down those assets from the app bundle and installs those on the iPad. And then it's then you have a binary that with theoretically with bitcode is maybe more optimized for a higher end CPU, and you've only pulled down the 64-bit version of the binary, and you've only pulled down the high-resolution texture graphics. I think, in a way, they're kind of solving the problem of have a wide range of devices in a broad price range, but still allow developers to create an app that can feel like it was targeted specifically for a high-end device or a low-end device. Yeah, but that's that. You know, that's a really rosy view of how it's going to work, and and, yeah. and I think a, a, a <laughs> gross over, well. oversimplification. Yeah, it probably of what's won't really work that well, but it seems like that's what they've laid the framework for this stuff. And yeah, I mean, there's I, no uh, way the first iteration of it's even going to work that well. I mean, uh, 
I'll, I'll meet your, your simplification with another one, right? In very broad, very simplistic terms, the issues the, the older iPads have today, right, all this aside, is that developers are forced to support them, right? If the, if the Apple review person tests your app on a device and it doesn't work on that specific device, your app gets rejected. Mm-hmm. So you're getting what's the lowest common denom- denominator, right? Hot dogs and beans, basically. You're right in that, sure, you can swap assets, you can do things like that with, with some of the new functionality. But that's not part of BitCode. No, but BitCode's um, part of that overall solution. Yes, but BitCode, I, I would be very surprised if they use it to optimize older devices and don't just use it to... Sell new, the new hotness. Or maybe even take more control of ARM, right, to do more radical things in new processors for, you know, what are their focus areas? Battery life, right? To somehow squeeze more battery life out of it. The other thing is, I'm less enthusiastic about this. Um, You're right, dude. They're total. Hold on, hold on. Don't just gloss right. over that. They are totally gonna go off in their own weird ass direction with ARM. Right. This is totally different I, it, than the rest of the industry because they're right. all about what can only Apple do. And the, oh my god, yeah, that's totally what it is. And they don't yeah, want to have to drag developers through it. Well, they'll probably well, get some better performance. Stream. Yeah. Yeah, but performance is a byproduct for them, right? That's, you know, given a choice between performance and battery life, they pick battery life every time, right? It's battery life and thinness. Right, so it's, uh, it's fair. This and I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, like, given their recent products for the last, let's say, five years, that, that's probably what this is more about. And like Jeremy's saying is really, since this is uh, a function of LLVM, anyone can do this. What I think is the fascinating thing is Apple's mandating it for the watch. And you've got to believe, if anything, if they're going to go off in a weird processor direction anywhere, it's going to be in the system-on-a-chip watch well, stuff. Yeah, so I think there's multiple things going on here, right? They, they'd like to, obviously, more battery life in your phone is better. I feel like the Apple Watch is very rushed. Um, you know, it's not very powerful. And we'll see if the new native apps that come out make that a little better. But and, I wouldn't you know, be shocked. The, the native apps, actually, the native apps that it has now, like the Apple ones, I mean, this is just my casual observation using my wife's watch. Uh, but the native apps, seem to, it does not seem to be any performance issues like in, in like when you're setting up like watch faces stuff or you're using the built-in Apple apps. I would say there's no performance complaints at all. It's when you're using any kind of third-party app or you're trying yeah. to launch an app where the thing feels like a slug. Yeah, I, I just don't see n- not having a totally new processor for ne- the next watch. And I don't know if that means it's like a new architecture or something totally proprietary. Right, or, well, or you know, the and they're gonna, they have a whole set of new sensors they're going to want to build into that thing. Right. Oh, that's interesting. You nailed it. That's exactly yeah. what it's about. So the, the, there's an aspect of this, because I, I honestly think this is very mundane from the day-to-day developer's pr- perspective, because this is just Apple doing what Apple does and taking yet more control over the whole ecosystem, right? Possibly to users. Yeah, I think the reason why it's getting a lot of excite excitement is because people are starting to fantasize about, uh, you know, Arm fact, Max. Well, I mean, Arm Max. Big- that's what right. some people are. I don't think that's really what's going to come out of this. What I'm more excited about is, I think it's neat to have a company out there that is really being competitive in the in the mobile CPU space. I think that's yeah. that's really See, cool. I'm not, I'm not excited about this at all because it, it's not clear yet. You know, I, I plug in an iPhone to Xcode, right? I plug in an iPhone 6 Plus. Plug it into Xcode, I hit build, I hit run, it runs. I know what I'm getting, right? I get the right binary, I run it, nobody's playing around with it. Apple's had trouble with code signing before, right? Where a bunch of people's apps crashed, 
because they did something wrong on iTunes. Yeah, remember, you've also had problems getting apps submitted for a while. <clears throat> and, of course, right. the review any, process any, has any, been shambles. Anything that relies on their back end or their, you know, them doing something kind of worries me. Because let's, let, let's, let's do a little thought experiment here, right? You release an app, and it's going great, going great, going great. And then they do a processor thing where they re-optimize the bit code on, on their side without telling you. Right. And now, all of a sudden, there's some weird condition with one of your optimizations you, where it causes a crash. How do you test for that? That's my question. And more importantly, what happens when it's crashing and I have a bunch of people flaming me with one-star reviews? Can I, is Apple going to actually you know, do the reasonable thing and, and silence those reviews and remove them? Or is it going to be like what they did with the, uh, where they broke code signing, where they took the reviews out of your average, but they did not silence them? Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking that back. just seems like a lot of risk. Yeah, this uh, the other thing there was in the other area where there's a lot of risk is one of the one of the other things they sort of proposed was uh, assets on demand. So say you have a game and you have like three level, four level, five level, six level. You know, yeah, when, that makes when, sense. When you install right. the yeah. game at level one and two, maybe download those with the game, and then as they complete level two, you start downloading level four, three, four, five. Right? That does seem like it would. That does seem like it makes a lot of sense. I trust that coming from Steam and Xbox Live. I don't know if I trust that coming from iCloud. And if that, cra- that if that though. fails, if that fails, anytime you, anytime you, anytime I, it seems like if, if I have, if I, if now, maybe I misunderstand, but it sounds like the content from my app has to be stored in the app store, right? So you have to uh, retrieve that content from the app store. And if there's some sort of miscommunication or authentication failure, or my developer account is lapsed for a day, like, do they, do all the apps break? What happens there? Well, a couple of things, right? In that use case, you could totally have that kind of feature built yourself, right? Many, many apps do. Right, but now I believe this is part of GameKit. So you're getting this as part of like the whole... So, so if GameKit's down, that's going to be down, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like relying on any third-party system. I... I, I no. Well, I mean, how many people I relied mean, on no. iCloud? And- yeah, it's, it's one thing to rely on EC2 and, and Google and Rackspace and, and DigitalOcean. It's a different thing to rely on iCloud. Maybe, maybe that's just my bias coming from a sysadmin, but I have, to me it seems like they still have a year or so before they've proven that to be a reliable service. Maybe I don't use it daily, so maybe it has become one, but it seems risky to me. Well, why is it different? Because you feel it's unreliable or because you think it's architecturally different? Because it seems like about once a month I hear something like I hear something is down, either like iTunes Connect is down or whatever, like the developer portal is down. Like it seems like things go down for Apple a lot. I don't, I don't know. To me, it just seems like a, it seems like a, the whole thing is too much risk. The, everything from the bit code to the, uh, to the on-demand assets, it, it seems like... It's probably see, eventually I don't, I don't going to be there, but I think you, see, I would, I I would not be the first to. Is a real risk? Maybe not. Um, I, I feel like all the stuff that Apple announced at, at WWC that we, we just talked about today needs a year or two in the oven before. Well, like, here's the deal, though, right? If iCloud's down, then everybody who uses iCloud's going to have the same problem, and hopefully, users know that. Okay, yeah, okay. Weren't you the guy that got flamed when GitHub went down and your app wouldn't work? It's the same. Yeah, uh, but, users don't necessarily know. Yeah. I mean, okay, but. At the time, I was one of you know one of one GitHub apps on the Mac App sure, Store, right? But now, now there's like 17. But I don't know. I think you're giving end users too much credit. They they are cognizant of the state of iCloud. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think they just think your app doesn't yeah, work. I don't. You're think- right. Right. The couple times GitHub went down, I got a flurry of one stars, and and you know, it was really interesting though. Like there was no. This is just an aside, Chris. There is no correlation between one star reviews and support emails. Just gonna kind of throw that hmm. out there. Hmm. Um, I mean, they're not trying yeah, to get help. Right. So, and just for people who aren't longtime listeners, 
had an app called Code Journal way before there was anything else like it on the App Store. It did actually pretty well. It's it's no longer there. Um, GitHub had some what would we call it, Chris? Upgrade issues? Yeah, like stability <laughs> issues and stability not like issues Chinese and the API stuff. outages and yeah. So it kept going down for about a period of two months. Like straight up, the GitHub API was four hundred four or five hundred three, whatever. So obviously, the app was totally reliant on GitHub, so it didn't work. Uh, as long as GitHub was down. So yes, I got a bunch of one stars reviews for that. Not my fault. But you know, that's kind of the cost of doing business and being reliant on a third party. I feel like if you're reliant on iCloud, you're not going to be the only person relying on iCloud. Like at the time, I was one of, I mean, at the, when I launched, zero, right? One of one. It seems like um, a long-term bet, too. Like, you know, they're going to get the, they're working the kinks out every, every year. Well, so. well, their goal is to get you to be an Apple developer, right? They also merge the developer programs where you don't have to pay for Mac and iOS separately now. You, you're just a, so like, you know, I have both, but I, I presumably when it goes to re next year, I don't pay for one, I guess. Right, it's one license, so it's ninety nine yeah. bucks. You're an Apple yeah, developer. you're a Mac and iOS developer. Now. Right, their whole thing is to kind of lock you in. Right, they want you using their platform, their pro- hell, their programming language. Right, it's not. You know, I don't think this is that much of a game changer because now, if they said Bitcode was compulsory, which if you notice that for now, they're definitely going to. Yeah, that's probably a WWDC announcement next year. Next year, yeah, and it'll but be they optional for Macs. Still- you know, I don't think they can ever do it. I, I don't even know how they're going to do this on Mac. I'm kidding, but it wouldn't be. And it seems how they do it. So it's mandatory for the watch, optional right. for nine. You know, it's going to be when iOS 10 comes out. It's going to be mandatory. But it seems pretty legitimate to me on the watch because the watch is going to has serious power issues, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just not a whole lot of space in there for a battery, and it's not that performant of advice right now. So, uh, yeah, you're. Yeah, so, so, I mean, we should move on from okay. Apple back. All right, so, I, don't so I, I wanted to, before we move too far, I wanted to cover, there's this uh, post that is like the top of Reddit today, it's the top of Hacker News, this guy cites down because of it, um, and uh, it was James Hughes' blog post, Organizing Skills Beat Algorithmic Wizardry, and I wanted to read just maybe one sentence from it, because uh, I, I wanted to, we've talked about technical debt on this show, I wanted to read this to you. He says, when it comes to writing code, the number one most important skill is how to keep a tangle of features from collapsing under the weight of its own complexity. I've worked on large telecommunication systems, console games, blogging software, and a bunch of personal tools, and very rarely is there some trickery data structure or algorithm that that casts a long, looming shadow over everything else. But there's always lots of state to keep track of, rearranging of values, heading of special cases, handling special cases, and carefully working out how all the places of the system interact. To a great extent, the act of coding is one of organization, refactoring, simplifying, figuring out how to remove extraneous manipulations here and there. He goes on to say how algorithms are easier to teach, but the real trick is not collapsing under the weight of its own complexity. I kind of thought that was beautiful. Because yeah, I felt that, like that's true with uh, a lot of things in life, <laughs> including I think you should read that to your children when they go to sleep. Honestly, yeah, including and if you're going to be a system administrator, uh, keep in mind uh, the hardest task is not creating a system that will collapse under its own weight. So many times, so many times, do I go into places as a contractor? Have I gone in there and I'm walking into the IT guy decided he wanted to create a fortress, the most badass IT infrastructure he'd ever conceived. And he finally got the go-ahead, and maybe he got a little money to do it, and he created a monster. I, one, I walked into a place where a guy had firewalls, 
between the decks, the desktops, the servers, the printers, the phone, literal physical firewalls. And then he had centralized servers that would come in in different switches. And some servers were in one firewall group. But of course, eventually, well, eventually within the first day, he had to start opening up holes in between all the different firewalls because different people from different departments needed different. It was, and then he burned out. And I walked in there and I had never seen such a spaghetti mess in my life. And of course, there was no, no room for downtime. So you had to be able to fix that system and still try to keep everything running. That was a spaghetti mess. Kind of makes me twitch. Makes me think if I was ever in a situation like that, I'd take advantage of our next sponsor, Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and check them out. This is a great time. It is summer. What a great time to set over set up at Linux Academy. Maybe in the evenings when it starts to cool down. One of the great things about Linux Academy is you can just go and set up how much time you have available, and they'll custom build courseware around that. And they also have some stuff you can really jump into. If you want to take your skill set to the next level, you want to make yourself a little more employable or challenge yourself or transition to a new technology or just learn about something new, immerse yourself, Linux Academy is the perfect place. It's created by truly, truly enthusiastic open source and Linux um, community members, uh, admins, developers, like these guys lived and breathed this stuff. That's why I really connected with them when we started talking before they became a sponsor. I connected in a big way because one of the reasons we started this network is because of our passions. And so to see them start something like this because of their passions, I, I, I connected with that. And then, of course, they brought in developers to create this platform. They have something very unique. Uh, I really like it because it allows you to sort of get a leg up than, than the, all the other training places out there. Because since they are really intimate with the technology and the, and the coursewares, you, that shines through. You get that. They close that gap, and I love it. Plus, with things like scenario-based labs at Linux Academy, you'll be able to go in there and actually get your hands on the technology and get in the middle of tasks common to an everyday environment. In their advanced lab environments, you'll complete scenarios from beginning to end, and those labs are on live servers. You'll get SSH access to them. The distributions are based off the ones you chose. They have seven-plus distros to choose from. The courseware and the virtual machines match that, which is a great value right there. Instructor help is always available. And, of course, they're adding new courses all the time. Uh, I really think they have the best OpenStack courseware out there, the best. The, do- the Docker stuff, we're talking about DockerCon, they have followed Docker since day one because they love it. They're enthusiasts. That makes the difference. So their Docker stuff is the best. It's the best. Uh, check out their nuggets, too. I think this is a great way to just get something really specific. It's like a narrow laser focus on a topic, about two to 60 minutes long. just makes you better at a task you do very frequently. It makes you more efficient. It's another great way to get some value out of your Linux Academy subscription. Also, so many great new CentOS courses and Red Hat certification courses. Get ready to get your Red Hat certification by going to linuxacademy.com slash code. Or slash coders, sorry. Then I get you the Coder Radio discount. So many new features, so many great things to talk about. Just go try it out for yourself for a little while. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. LinuxAcademy.com also has the best AWS content out there, too. If you need to deploy an application or some technology on Amazon Stack, go try it out over there first. Learn on the Linux Academy platform, and then go apply that knowledge right when you move over to AWS. It works well. Good, uh, good courseware over there for Android development as well. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring... Code radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, we have some feedback to get to. I'm going to really quickly read Mr. P.T. Dave's feedback. Uh, he wanted to voice the uh, the uh, opinion of dissent. We played uh, the, cl- the clip last week where we said, it looks like, you know, there's this big privacy mantra that uh, Apple is starting to beat the drum on that probably the rest of the industry will follow. But P.T. Dave says... Uh, I think if privacy was truly a concern, then people need to disconnect from the net. Apple is just blowing smoke, saying they're just giving us a good reason to charge us more up front and that they don't really care about privacy. So P.T. Dave lays it down. Bam! 
says that Apple isn't really so concerned about your privacy. Maybe he's right. But let's move on. Reed writes in, and I love this one. He was on the topic of that Yelp developer burnout, Mr. Dominic, from last week. He says, I spent many years working as an editor and then a developer in an entertainment post-production industry. Since listening to Unfilter, I've become much more socially aware and specifically found my passion in prison and justice reform. That's awesome. Recently, I took a job at a nonprofit that provides entrepreneurial training to people with criminal records. Man, Reed, that's really great. He says, I feel like people in tech have a tendency to expect the work they do to be its own reward. Oh, interesting. He says they want to find uh, they want to find a job writing code because they like writing code. This isn't the case in most fields. Most chefs don't become chefs because they enjoy chopping vegetables and spending all day in a hot kitchen. They do it because they like creating food and have it enjoyed by other people. The fortunate thing about tech is that it's everywhere. You don't need to work in Silicon Valley startup to get a tech job. You have your choice of almost any industry anywhere in the country. My advice is find your life purpose, then look for a job. Right. I like that. Don't look for your purpose in a job. Uh, and that resonated. The reason why Reed's email resonated with me is uh, I think one of the things that made me decide to start my own business and stop working um, uh, nine to five was one of the guys I worked with. He was one of these, and I'm not talking to if you're one of these. I, I mean, you're probably very appreciated. He was one of these guys that uh, would always be the first in. You know, he'd show up like six thirty a.m. and he'd always be the last out at most time, unless you're working crazy hours. Even if he didn't have anything to do. He'd just kind of sit around because he didn't have anything else. He just had that job. So he didn't really have a lot to go home to. And he made that job his identity. Like he really sort of integrated that into his personality. And when they laid off our entire department for outsourcing, I mean, he was devastated by it. And he eventually, um, he eventually bounced back and opened up a wine store, which is really cool. Uh, but, uh, it was it was really tough for him. He didn't have a he didn't have a passion outside of his work, and uh, I, I, and when he did, he just didn't really. It took him a while to connect with it. It was wine, so I think Reed's point is uh, well spoken, and I think uh, probably a lesson that he learned on his own. You have anything to color in there, Mister Dominic? No, not really. I mean, I, I think I, I almost completely agree with him. Um, you know, most jobs suck, right? There are very few accountants who do it for ten years. I'm like. God, I love this uh, function I wrote in Excel. It's it's just great. <laughs> here's a, I mean, really, honestly, like here's the how, thing, how, right? It's he's yeah. so like I liked his point. Like a lot of chefs don't become chefs because they like chopping vegetables. It's a good point. I mean, think about attorneys, right? You know, everybody thinks law and order or whatever, but most lawyers like this is the five hundredth employee agreement I've reviewed this week. They're all the same, right? Like most jobs aren't like development where you're you're doing something. Uh, I hate to use the word creative, but really creative, right? And something that's your passion. Right. And pe- that's why people have hobbies. That's why people have families. They go home, right? So, yeah. I think, I think for some of us, it's just it's simply an inconceivable concept that I would spend eight hours of my day, every single day of my life, doing something that I wasn't crazy passionate about. Life's too short, I think, for a lot of us. And so what we really have to wrap our brain around is how can I go and do this job if I'm not absolutely loving this? But you've pretended to be a Linux enthusiast for like 10 years now. Wow. Wow. Well, I got nothing yeah. but Linux. I got, I got one Mac for, for broadcasting <laughs> to me, and the rest of all these rigs are all Linux machines right here. <laughs> yeah, what, what OS are they running, by the way? Uh, Arch. Oh, okay. The one true Linux. Uh, oh, put your glasses back on. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, I so I that's why I think that's why people kick yeah. around this issue so much is there's something I think maybe because because development is a bit of a creative work. I think it takes maybe a bit of a, that type of personality, and the types of personality have a hard time reconciling. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm maybe I'm scratching the wrong itch here. But to me, it seems like what the people are really fundamentally coming down to is wrapping their brain around that I'm spending this much of my life doing something I'm not super passionate about. I guess. I mean, you know, n- no one has has it better than developers, right? Just just saying, in terms of work. I mean, you can work from home. I, I, Depends on the gig. There's some a lot of stress, but yeah, you're right. It, like, it's, it, it's a lot. It's a very deadline-driven industry, right? Yeah. It's very. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot more labor-intensive, backbreaking, brutal jobs you could be doing. Right. Yeah. You could be down in a coal mine. Really, there's a lot of worse jobs. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, speaking of jobs, Anonymous wrote in with an update. Uh, he says, last show's discussion on burnout made me realize that I never followed up on the burnout emails I sent about more than a year ago. I've been writing codes since I was very young. In my second year of college, I started getting really burned out, and I emailed you guys, too. It made me really reevaluate some stuff, and now, a year later, I'm still writing code. Turns out, I was stressing too much on learning the latest and greatest web front-end frameworks, and it was demoralizing that my knowledge was outdated in weeks. Now, I've almost stopped all front-end development stuff, fixed up my lifestyle, no more all-nighters, sleep is important, and I've never been happier. I hope people getting burnt out find the reasons for it and treat the disease and not the symptoms. Anonymous. Yeah, yeah, and the all-nighters thing. Like, Chris, how many times have I come on the yard and said, I did an all-nighter for a client, and guess what? The client took a crap on the work. Yeah, yeah, it burns you bad. You're you're never going to – it's almost never worth it, really. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, for me, not to play the old man card because people hate it when I do that, but I don't – it takes me two, three days now to come back from an all-nighter. Like I don't come back. Yeah, I, like, I don't. I don't recover in a couple hours anymore. Yeah. yeah. So there is that too. Like I, that was a much different game when I was twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, even twenty six, even. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't do it. So anonymous. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad you're getting some good sleep. And uh, you know, I've uh, I've tried to take a little time out and about here because it's so nice in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, life, it's crazy. Like the work style, the work the, when you work for yourself, work is crazy. There's it happens at all times. I, uh, uh, you know, like, well, that's uh, why I, you know, I'm getting a job, Chris. Did you know that? Tell me about this. Yeah. Uh, my local Starbucks. Oh, nice. Had an opening for a barista. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so you just thought, you know what I'm going to do? Stop coding. I'm going to go start pouring coffee. I can't say that I've never considered it. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I know actually, you know what? So going back to uh, local community and culture, so I live. Uh, I well, the, the studio is in the is in the town of Arlington here in Washington State, and uh, near here there is a town called Oso. Now that might sound kind of familiar because there was a really bad Oso mudslide that made national news. Um, so they like kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. So that okay. town, that town put out. So some. So there's a guy that just started started up his own barbecue place on the weekends. Yes. Uh, he's a he's a software developer during the week, and a barbecue on the weekends. At least that's what he told me. You know, I know a guy like that. We have the Bell Research Lab right here, the AT&T Research Lab. Yeah. There is a local coffee shop. I shit you not. It's a senior developer from there just opened it with his wife because he needed something to yeah. do. 
Yeah, so this, like this, a hobby. same yeah. thing. This guy's wife makes a barbecue sauce, and so we were yep. trying. We're like, "What is this? What is this? Bourbon in the sauce?" And she's like, "Secrets in the sauce. I'll never tell." And, uh, and you know, it's legitimate barbecue too because you show up, and I asked for ribs, and I'm like, "Nope, we ran out of ribs hours ago," and that's a really good sign because if they got as many ribs as you want, they're not barbecue ribs. If they run out of ribs, then you know it's got a good chance of being legit barbecue. So uh, instead, I got uh, I got a pulled pork taco. It was good. And I chatted, All you're doing is making me hungry. I chatted a little. I chatted a little bit with about Microsoft Hololens. So it was uh, good times. Yeah. We're so close. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic. Is there anything else we want to cover, or should we get out of here and go get some lunch? Should we mention the T Swizzle? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Lay it on me. So, so the Apple Music, uh, you know, three month trial thing for free. Artists don't get paid. Record labels don't get paid. Taylor Swift was like, Nah, not doing it. Right. Sorry. And they actually reversed course. They're yeah. going to pay. So um, this is so the internet. You know, everybody's got to have an opinion. Every, you know, really, like, um, guess what must have happened here is Apple made a deal with the record labels. Record labels said, yeah, sure, yeah, no streaming for no payments on the first three-month trial. That's fine. Or 30-day trial, whatever, 30-day trial. That's fine. No, 90-day. 90-day trial. Okay. So that's fine. And then Taylor Swift was like, well, I didn't agree to that. And, well, she uh, also owns part of the record. Label. Isn't it weird that we're even talking about Taylor Swift right now? Can we just? No, I a- love Taylor Swift. Keep going. Okay, uh, so um, I I actually didn't think Apple's setup was that much of a dick move to begin with because they don't get paid per play on the radio. I mean, the record industry gets a a, a, a lump sum, but the artists don't get paid per play. And so that's- here's my here's my connection though. So if Taylor Swift can do this. Is there a developer that can do this? Like, who who would have to be like, no, I'm sorry, we're oh. we're not right? Because, and I know this is not a great correlator, but in terms of software pricing and the music pricing, we're seeing a lot of the same thing, right? This downward price pressure down to 99 cents, and I I almost feel like music's leading the way with a subscription service, right? Can't you picture a world where people start offering subscriptions to apps? Oh, sure, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right, or to yeah. games or whatever. Yeah. I mean, games are You could do already it. do that, though, in a way. There, although there's some requirements around it, but you could do subscriptions today. But the, 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 the question is, is it, you get, it, because of that cut that Apple takes, you are so limited in what you can deliver via subscription. So that's really, like, that's really where... Mm, it's, it's, that's where I yeah. think Apple constrains it. I don't think that's going to change because it's fundamentally way more expensive to deliver software over the Akamai CDN and than it is to deliver music. That's fair. And additionally, uh, do you know what sucks hmm. more or slightly less than Google demoing a feature you were working on on stage? Ooh, what? Having Microsoft include it in the Microsoft band. <sighs> that's right. I saw yes. that. I saw yes. that. I'm actually tempted to get the band. It's so butt ugly, but uh, it's it looks really bad. But the golf swing analysis thing, uh, if if they dropped a hundred bucks off that band, I would buy it from. I would have bought it for my dad for Father's Day. Yeah, I'm thinking my little golf thing's going to the to Davy Jones on this one. That was a good idea, dude. It was a good idea. It was a good right. I mean, when Apple and Google and Microsoft jump on your idea, it's not bad. You were you were you were on to something at least on to yeah. something. All right. Anything else All you right. want to cover, Mr. Dominic? No, I love you, darling. All right. Well, then I think maybe what we should do is give people some place to get a little more of you throughout the week. Where would you like to send them? I'd like to send them to at uh, Dumanuku on Twitter. Powerful at Dumanuku. You know, you can follow me on Twitter too. I'm at Chris Elias. In fact, 
it's a brand new account. So you have to follow me again if you haven't before. I Same name, new account. I know that's weird. Also, we have a uh, network account, Jupiter Signal. Don't forget the Coda Radio program is live on Mondays. We do the show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. You go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that as converted to your local time zone. Also, we want to get your feedback. It's a big part of our show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send it in. Go to coderadio.reddit.com as well. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. Thank you.